Welcome to Inside the Firm, a podcast dedicated to small business owners and hosted by entrepreneurs, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Each week, they take you on their journey of how to start, run, and grow a business by bringing you inside their architecture and real estate development firm. Get a behind-the-scenes tour of how these business leaders manage their clients and foster company culture while creating new and innovative projects. And now your host, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Welcome to another episode of Inside the Firm. This is Lance Level Psycho. <laughs> I'm Al Round Gore. <laughs> we, <laughs> we are here to bring you a great episode where we're going to talk about um, big moves, big meeting moves uh, in the contracting company, how to talk to real estate uh, people to get more business. Uh, how the whole world order changed on Wednesday. I took one day off and that happened. Oh and my it, gosh, I don't even know about this. I can't wait. Awesome. Uh, but before we get to that, let's get how to help yourself. Go to architectsguide2.com, architectsguide2.com, so you can extend your platform of raking in the cash, raking in the dough, raking in the responsibility, which then leads in a direct circle to getting more architecture clients. Uh, architectsguide2.com shows you how to be an architect contractor. Go check it out. If you find yourself not finding the product data you're looking for, you might be using the wrong search engine. Broad search results, broad searches result in consumer products, out-of-date information, and websites that hide or don't have the information you're looking for. If you need specifications, CAD or BIM, arcat.com is your search engine. Find and download the up-to-date data you need faster. Arcat.com is free and requires no registration. So try Arcat today. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com. Check those guys out. The other place I need you to check out, which is super helpful to keeping this podcast going, is pelluxury.com forward slash the firm. If you go there, you're going to experience a collection of brands that brings your creative vision to life. The luxury division of Pella is a world-class collection of brands, including Duratherm, Riley, and Benelli, all pioneers of industry who provide window and door solutions to discerning architects, the building industry, and beyond. The luxury division of Pella doesn't push beyond the limits. They set them. Explore PellaLuxury.com forward slash the firm today. Back to me. Back to you. Who's it back to? Back to me. Back to you. Okay, cool. So uh, we're making so on the heels of us talking about uh, our sister company and architectsguide2.com, which would help you also start a sister company, which is our construction firm. Um, I made some big moves this week, and uh, Alex can't see my screen. Maybe maybe I should have left it open. That's all right. I'll, I'll explain it here. I, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see what I'm talking about. So <clears throat> we we were doing Monday morning meetings with the construction crew. Uh, before starting work at F9 between 7 a.m. and uh, 8 a.m. each Monday morning. And now uh, we've switched it up. Uh, and and we, we st I stopped doing that for a bit. We got a little slow. And uh, after some feedback from the guys, I think we're moving back in that direction. And I think it is super critical. And I th this is as we, you know, when you start a company, uh, the first seven years, is the your your most vulnerable? Everybody's probably heard the statistic. Like that's when you can the failures uh, typically happen, and then most startups don't get out of that seven year period. We are in uh, technically uh, year. Let's see here. We're in year four of F fourteen. Three more to go, hopefully, and then we we survive and we're good and we start to really really thrive. Uh, so it is okay to have these experimentations. I just want to let everybody know that like that's a big part of it, and that's where the creativity comes in. If you're if you're a creative person, uh, and and then how you massage all the problems out. So on my screen here, if you're watching on YouTube, what I've got is on the left hand side, I've got uh, our Monday morning meeting, and what it is is, and the two things I want to focus on are bottlenecks versus uh, the critical path. And what I'm going to pull up next with that is, give me one second here, a different document where I. And when we I restarted the Monday morning meetings um, last Wednesday because we had, it's got a weird weird week, but then officially we started this Monday. And I the first thing I, I I pulled up on the screen 
that I had the guys read was uh, I had them read bottleneck project pro, bottleneck in project management. What is a bottleneck in project management? A bottleneck is any point of congestion in a project that causes delays in the workflow. Bottlenecks in project management reduce the pace of the project due to limited capacity. Then there's the critical path method that people have heard before too, and that that one's huge in the construction industry. In my opinion, the bottleneck is more is more ubiquitous uh, as it applies to even just architecture or whatever other business you're you're dealing you're working on or working in. Critical path method. CPM is a technique where you identify tasks that are necessary for a project completion and determine scheduling flexibilities. A critical path in project management is a longest sequence of activities that must be finished in time in order for the project to complete. So why this matters and why I had the guys uh, read that and then how I've implemented it in the Monday morning meetings and then eventually the Friday, which I'll get to, is the first thing we identified. And I so I the way I have... A way I'm trying to manage F14 is I have this document and the projects we care about, the projects that are most critical to the business and keeping things going and the ones that are under construction are at the top. So at the top, we start with like, this is the number one stuff we care about. What is the first? And then the first bullet point is what is the bottleneck? The bottleneck is framing. We have to finish the framing before we can get to, before the plumbers can come in. And then what is the next bottleneck after we finish framing? The plumbers. Uh, then I've got some action. Go ahead, Al. N- nope, I'm just... Then I've got some action items for myself and what I need to do. Then I've got some action items for the foreman. And then I've got some action items for, for the carpenter. We talk about what the closed loop items that we tackled from last week. And it, it like, which if they didn't get closed, then it's... actually is a bottleneck again. So, for instance, on this one, it was on Saturday before this Monday meeting, I had to confirm that the plumbers demolished this baseboard heating, these heating elements, so that we could do our framing. Uh, the other one was I, I had to order a part of potty and a shipping container for storage. That got done. So I just reaffirmed that to the crew. And then, um, and then how does that translate over to the Friday? So now I've just got the Friday pulled up. And this so you're is, doing a Monday and a Friday. Yes. So the, now the Friday meeting is going to happen between 3.30 and 4 p.m. at the end of the day. And we're going to go over, did we complete the bottlenecks for, any, for all the projects? Where are we at with it? So I've got them highlighted here. And this is, this is you're seeing it live in literally the meeting I'm going to have with the guys this afternoon. Did we finish the bottleneck framing? Yes, we completed in areas where plumbers need us to be. Therefore, we are no longer the bottleneck. Now it's on the plumbers when they can get out there in the schedule. Uh, The GC action items, we received some damaged flooring. It's going to get picked up Monday. I need to uh, order some new flooring. The foreman action items, moving into next week just to start thinking about it. Need them to finish the remaining framing, which which is not necessary for the plumbers because we already tackled that bottleneck mm-hmm. uh, uh the foreman needs to meet with the owner he didn't hit this case his name is rich for an angled wall issue uh carpenter action items still the same because there's more demo to do after the because since, since we tackled the framing and then uh closed loop items from from last week um that's just on the agenda to talk about but the idea is then over the weekend after that meeting i finalize this uh, this this working method that we've got going, and then highlight the extra stuff, and then I just go through that through, through that whole process for the rest of the projects to really keep people on board. Because the th- the biggest thing that I noticed from our, my crew so far right now in this last couple of weeks is that we have multiple projects going up uh, under construction. And there's like little hanging chads on some of them. So one is like, oh, we need to finish the siding. We need to finish repairing the siding on the exterior. But the thing I'm trying to emphasize to them is, is that holding up anything? Or is that something, is that, a le- is that less of a priority? It's not holding up anything. It's not a bottleneck. If it's not a bottleneck, then are there other bottlenecks in front of it that we have to tackle first before we can get to that? And we just keep going in order like that. Um, another one is we installed these, we reinstalled some windows, um, that kind of failed, uh, due to some environmental reasons on a project. 
And so it's all, we reinstalled them. The house is all dried in and everything. The vector wrap and all of that uh, is is fine. Um, There's no waterproofing issues or anything like that. But we got trim delivered this week. First, uh, we have to, in priority, tackle the other stuff. So, like, it's not a priority. They worry about all the hanging chads. And it's your job to be the reassurer of, like, I hear you. We can acknowledge them, but they can't overtake the other bottlenecks. We got to keep, you got to keep all of these kind of moving in sort of a sequence that makes sense for you. Mm -hmm. So that's the big improvement uh, process improvement that I wanted to share with everybody um, for that. And then what we're trying to do also is coincident with those meetings. Then we're trying to touch base at the end of that meeting between four and 5 PM on a Friday Touch base with every owner. Hey, here's what we're here's what we're thinking happens next week. Um, this is on Monday. I'll report back with exactly what we're doing. These are things to just think about over the weekend um, as we move ahead to next week. Monday comes around, touching base after that meeting with all the owners and telling them here's what we're doing this week. So we touch base two times with not only the people installing stuff and and get, keeping things going, but the owners who are paying for it. To to uh, I'm sure this is wrapped up in that too <coughs> on friday if you have another bottleneck let's just say the plumbers they meet on monday morning so you could tell them hey remember we still need this done so monday morning they can schedule it and get them out there right away like yes. those other bottlenecks. yes you're also touching with the subs for sure so um there's always incremental improvements i wonder i wonder if this suggestion is worth it so lance are there there are a hierarchy of important things is what you're saying yeah you could almost reflect that as you go throughout this in your uh, Word document that people maybe saw on YouTube is like, okay, the big bottlenecks for this week are bolded. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Instead of it having be all the same. And I think that's what confuses people too and not like, oh, if you have 20 issues and you think those 20 issues are the same, then like your stress level goes off. Yes. Versus like, hey guys, a bunch of this is just tasks what we're doing. Only the bold things are the ones that well, are potential bottlenecks yeah. or something like that. And the like idea that. is it's, a, it's sequential. We only care about the first project until we tackle the bottleneck and we're no longer the bottleneck. Yep. Then, then, the, then there's the mutual responsibilities of me and the foreman to tackle the next bottleneck if it involves yep. somebody else and make sure they're on schedule. Then we can move into the next bottleneck that is ours. Yep. And that's the order of priority of how yep. we're doing it. Um, cool. So I, uh, the other thing I wanted to share with everybody before Al tells us about how the world changed on Wednesday is uh, I tackled um, something I've been wanting to do for a long time. And I know that architects specifically have a, a big problem with realtors. <clears throat> realtors, I like realtors. Uh, I understand the value of realtors, but my position is skewed on that because my wife is a realtor. So I actually see how much time and effort and everything it takes for her to put into either listing or selling something, um, or sorry, listing or, or being on the buying side of things with, with folks. It's, it's actually a lot of effort and a lot of time. I've uh, encouraged her to like time herself to, so she could see how much she's making per hour. She won't do it. But if she did, I bet it would be, um, I bet it would be not, you wouldn't make as much per hour as you maybe think from an outside perspective. So like, so, you know, everybody knows that, uh, in the arc, if you've ever bought or sold a house, okay, there's there's two different ways that the that the commissions work, right? Um, right now, like some builders are giving incentives to uh, realtors who are bringing buyers for new houses to they'll give them three percent commission. Um, and then if you're on the sales side of things, maybe you're if you're listing it, maybe your commission is only two percent. It typically equals around five five to six percent of the whole deal, right? Mm-hmm. Architects look at that and they go like, wow, look at, we didn't even get paid that percentage for um, managing the, the whole process. Managing the whole <laughs> process. And yeah. like, okay, you know, we can, that's a whole sidestepping, but I'm just setting up the, my, the position here. And what I'm getting at is like, all right. <clears throat> uh, it seems, and the, the other thing I think too, is that we're finding, I'm finding a lot of this happening. And I know other people too are too, because I've talked about this in the Ontario architect community is 
let's say somebody comes to you and they, uh, you're an architect and they say, I want to build a restaurant in a 1,000 square foot gray box or white box, typical shell space in a strip mall. Mm-hmm. I'm getting, I'm getting to these, you get the meeting with the owner, uh, the person who's doing the lease or whatever, maybe even the realtor is there. One, one was actually this past couple of weeks. And they said, um, yeah, so uh, we've been, I, I said, they're like, well, well, I, what, what's your timeline? You know, where do you want to, when, when are you looking to open your business? And they said, well, we need to open it in three months because that's the lease we signed. And we were told it should only take three months. And I go, does that include getting the building permit? And yep. I'm like, oh my gosh, you guys. Oh my gosh. So now I'm going to crap on the realtors a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and that is like, please start telling your clients the truth of how long it takes to get a building permit. Um, and, but you got to first start with, okay, what is it going to take the, the, the architects and engineers to do something like that for a restaurant at the very soonest, I think maybe if everybody was very hungry and that was the only project they were taking on at that point, maybe you get the drawings done in four to six weeks. Then you're going to submit to the building and planning departments that process, depending on where you're at, is going to take between uh, at least uh, six weeks all the way to a year, depending on the jurisdiction. Then you talk about the build. A typical tenant finish is probably going to take around three to four months. So if you add all that together, we're probably around somebody's doing the math in their head, five to six months, not three months. So where I'm going with this is, and that include, and then and then there's also the whole okay, you sell somebody a piece of property. Let's say it's just a single family house, but you're the realtor and you know that like, yeah, I, I think they can put an ADU on this. They've expressed interest in an ADU. It is also legally, realtors are supposed to refrain from like looking up zoning information and giving it to them. Um, <clears throat> but they yet they want the sale. So architects, isn't it in your best interest to maybe actually put your guard down a little bit and put the jealousy aside about how much these realtors are making? And maybe like, why aren't you networking with these folks to try to be that resource for them in that whole scope? And the, the last part of the scope I would add is like, if you're a realtor who's selling land to people, same thing applies. Like, are you really going to look up the zoning information? Are you really going to, do you know the whole process of what it takes to get in and out? And by the way, I spoke with a land broker who I know very well, Shauna Morgan, and I asked her about this idea, and she said, she goes, Lance, I am a in the minority of people who sell land who actually know about the process that takes to get it developed. She goes, so I think you should be reaching out to these people and just getting your name out there in front of them, even if only a couple call you back. At least you're in the pocket at that point, and then if you do a good job, word will spread. So what I've always wanted to do, and this is like a whole decade ago, like in 2010, actually, so 13 years ago, Alex and I talked about this multiple times, like, how do you get in front of people? How do you, if you're, if you're an architect, if you're a builder, it doesn't even like any, or just in general, like how, who you need to figure out the starting point of a project or a process. So what is the starting point of a part project or process as it comes down to even building, architectural design, any of that stuff. It is the realtor is selling the land. The realtor is selling the house. The realtor is is working with the owner to lease the property in the instance of that uh, of the restaurant that I told you about, right? So how can you get in front of the realtors to be that person to lean on and and hopefully refer you while that transaction is happening, right? Instead of the transaction happened and now 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 you're like behind the ball right because now maybe that owner is going out on their own searching how much better is it going to be if you can get referred during that whole transaction and hopefully be able to assist with um, the lease negotiations from a standpoint of if the realtor and the owner end up asking you, they're like, hey, we're in the lease negotiations and obviously the realtor and their legal team are going to handle all the legalese but we just have some big questions for you. What do you think this is going to cost for me to build? What do you think the architecture and engineering fees are going to be? And the biggest one is how long do you think before we have a building permit? Mm. 
And what is that process gonna, going to be like? If you can inform that, then all of a sudden maybe you're influencing that lease so there's a little bit more uh, less pressure on everybody and you guys can all perform and do it well together so they're not sitting there paying for a lease month by month with no, with, with no building permit in hand, that sort of thing. <clears throat> okay, here's what I did finally after 13 years. I had my wife. You guys don't have to have a wife or a husband who is a realtor to do this. You could get with a realtor and you could ask them to do this very simple task for you. We operate our headquarters out of Boulder County. There's four counties surrounding it. What I had her do is I said, I want you to give me a list of anybody on the MLS in the last year that has listed land. And she put together that list for me. And what I've got pulled up on my screen here is what it, what it ended up being. The, the caveat I would add is though, make sure your realtor can not only get the, because what it's got is like, if you see, look on my screen here, it's got like, here's the listing and the MLS and all that. And then it's got the phone number of this listing agent uh, and the buying agent, which is the same. Get the email too. And that'll save you some time from what I had to do. Um, because a lot of these realtors I found do not have their emails on it. So what I went through is I went line by line and then I ended up creating this document here. And I went and searched. I would just type in like, for instance, with, with this first gal. Christine Freeman, Colorado Realtor. <laughs> and I would try my best to find the emails. Um, as you can see in the spreadsheet, like I ha was able to find the emails for that. But I'm trying to save you guys time is if they can pull the emails off the MLS, they can include that. It's just another little button to click. Uh, so I went through. This took me like, uh, a like a couple mornings to get through it all. Now I have this nice email list. And then what I did is I worked on an email to send out. Um, and knowing that like realtors, much like architects, get, we get a lot of spam. We get a lot of people uh, wanting to contact us for whatever reasons, marketing, websites, lending, all kinds of stuff. So you're going to, don't, don't kid yourself and think like out of my list, which was I think 160 something, 165 people. How many people do you think call me back? Five, five or six. You're, is that better than zero? 100%, right? It's 100% better than zero. It's actually 600% better than zero, technically. You know what's funny? You get I've, those five or six I've always heard this, um, and it makes sense. It's pretty much spot on. It says, especially in like cold calling situations, which is essentially is. It is. 3% of people are actually in need of that service. Yes. You said 150. Three out of 100 is three. 50, 2.5. That's um, what did you say? Let's what did just you say, say five people it was or six? It was about five that got back to me. Actually, so, uh, yeah, let's just do five divided by 165, 3%. Yeah. <laughs> to a T. Yeah. Yeah. It should be a 165. Yeah. Shouldn't it be different? Anyways, it's close enough that. No, no, it's three, this is 3%. Five divided by 165. Yeah. yeah. So that's the ratio you're going to get. And here's the email that I put together. I put and there's two of them, and I'll tell you why there's two of them. <clears throat> the first one is uh, this is my uh, subject line here. It's helping navigate, helping navigate zoning and development con constraints. Uh, dear whatever you know, insert name here. I hope this email finds you well. As a local architect, builder, and developer, I've been impressed by your work in selling land to real estate developers in Colorado. I'm reaching out today because I believe that we could be, be we could be mutually beneficial to each other. My network of developers is always on the lookout for properties to develop in Colorado, which is true. Uh, we get, I get the c comments and questions from developers who are nearing the end of like the design process. They're like, hey, do you know of anything? Do you know of anything up there or stuff like that? I would love, and so back to the email, I, and I would love to refer my clients to you when they're looking for properties to develop. In return, I would be happy to assist you and your clients with the initial research on zoning and development constraints. Additionally, I have a multifamily project in Denver that has been approved for construction to begin that may be of interest to your clients. The additionally part though, here's the difference, right? Like that's a unique carrot that we have in the firm right now where we have uh, the developer who's uh, wanting to uh, just offload the project. It's, they're just not in the, in the right, they're not in the position to, to take it on for whatever reasons. That other carrot though is pretty huge. You could, you could exclude that additionally sentence. I think you'd still be fine. Uh, and then here's a little bit different too. So like you got to curtail this to obviously your skill set and everything you can do. 
As a fellow developer, I understand the challenges of navigating the complexities of the property development. My team and I are experts in land and property development. You could still maybe be an expert in just quickly looking through the zoning code and, and understanding some basic constraints, understanding the basic process that it goes through, and then uh, just knowing a general timeline of what it takes to get to permits, right? And we can swiftly and efficiently answer questions to your questions once a property is identified by one of your clients. I believe that by working together, we can provide our clients with the best possible service and outcomes. If this sounds interesting to you, I would love to schedule a call to discuss further how we can collaborate. Thank you for your time, and I look for hearing from you soon. I got five or six responses back. I had multiple phone calls with people, and the movers and shakers were, were the ones calling me back. And they were really grateful, actually, because they said, I, they go, it's, it's eerily, the coincidence here is eerie because I was just needing something like this. 3%. The 3%. Yep. And then I have a condensed version because I'll tell you why I have a condensed version. And I'll read it too. I'm a local architect and developer impressed by your work. I can refer my clients to you for land development and assist with zoning research. I also have a multifamily project in Denver for sale. Let's collaborate for mutual benefit. Schedule a call. The reason I did that and why I'm adding that in is because then if you go look back on my spreadsheet here, you can see, and maybe you'll avoid this pitfall. In some in some instances, like you you can only find these folks on like realtor.com forward slash real estate agents and then some crazy amount of numbers. And then you kind of contact them through that form, sort of like a contact form on a website, obviously. Sure, sure. Uh, so I think this is worth doing. I I I did it. And, uh, and, and so far, I'm just in the Rolodex and in the ether of, of talking to additional to other people. And um, we've agreed to be sort of this mutual resource uh, for each other on those sort of things. So I thought it was worth sharing because we complain about, in, the, in this industry, realtors so much. And it's like, maybe just run right at, the, run right at them and see, 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 what, see, what, see where it goes. Like, could it hurt? Could be another pipeline. Could be another pipeline. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, side news. I leave for one Wednesday <laughs> to do a spring break and the whole world order changed. And what do I mean by the whole world order? Um, this is potentially big news. And, and Lance, tell me if like this popped up um, the the petrol dollar and the well, OK, you know, the visit China visited Russia. Z yeah, visited, they're friends. <laughs> yep. Yep. And do you know the, the, the biggest news that came out of that? No. Holy oh, the yawn? The yawn? The yawn? The, yeah, the, the yen, yen? The yen? Sorry, the, the yen. yen. Yep. Yes, I heard that news. That, that they're making most... Them in India too, right? Well, listen to this. So, okay. a little bit of history. Okay. So, uh, everyone knows Rockefeller. His big innovation was not getting like concessions out of railroads to ship, which he also did. It wasn't that he was brilliant and you know all, all that other stuff. was that he consolidated oil and the reason why he consolidated oil is because refineries would pop up uh they would overproduce and the fluctuation of oil prices would be so sporadic that an industry couldn't be, be built so he would buy up refineries and then either tear them down or put them into a system and make a steady flow right not only did that help steady the amount of money you know like how much oil prices were then that steady flow meant that he could do steady agreements mm -hmm. with the shipper, with the railroads and pipelines and all that, right? Well, <clears throat> this uh, he started in about the Civil Wars. Obviously, this concept didn't just stay with him. When oil was uh, in the Middle East, uh, similar thing formed, OPEC formed, and it was all about controlling how much oil there's out there so that you can have steady prices and all that. The huge thing, though, is that it was based on oil was sold, sold in dollars and still is sold in dollars, right? Mm -hmm. What that means is that <clears throat> there is always a want for U.S. dollars out in the market yep. because you need that to trade. Yeah. So when we print it, obviously there's inflation, but there's, there's a hunger and there's an appetite for it. Okay. What did China do and what is it concerning? Before they went to Russia... Do you know that they went to Saudi Arabia and Iran? No. <laughs> okay. I love these. I love this. I'll keep going. So China went to Saudi Arabia and Iran and said, uh, you guys have 
uh, obviously, um, there's regional rivalries, right? Yep. We even have them in the United States. UND sucks. NDSU is awesome, right? Even it's, though we're the we're same so, people. We're so much better. Yeah, but we are so much better, right? NDSU <laughs> is so much better, right? And this is an oversimplification, but China said, hey, um, it's time to put away regional differences yep. and work together because essentially there's a new world or coming, and, and that's what this segment's about. Uh, Saudi Arabia and Iran agreed. I think they're opening up embassies in, the, in each other's countries. So you have Saudi Arabia, which is number two in oil producing. The U.S. is number one. Russia is number three. Yeah. China is in the top ten. Okay. Venezuela is in the top ten. Then you have – okay, so they do that. Mm-hmm. Then literally a couple months later, they go to uh, uh, Russia – and they say, and they asked, are you open to selling your oil in yen? Because if you are, listen to this, we can sell oil in Asia, which is a huge market, yeah. Africa, Africa is huge, giant, and Latin America. That's every continent besides Europe and, United, and Northern America. Yeah. And is Australia? Australia, Australia is yeah, but come on. Kiwis don't count. <laughs> just throw that shots fired <laughs> shots fired what that what that then means is that <clears throat> if they are trading uh that's pro that is for sure over half the population probably 75 percent of the population that is maybe more than that that is probably uh seven ninths of the population <clears throat> all of a sudden if uh, the majority of oil gets uh exchange through the one there's no longer a need as much need for greenbacks mm-hmm. the dollar could plummet and them printing money could literally mean nothing and then all of a sudden you have a problem where you have in nigeria and these other countries where they fight uh liquidity issues by printing money and if no one wants it you just have inflate like you have Rapid, rapid inflation. Did you read these quotes? Can I read them? Uh, sure. Yep. Quote, quote, we are in favor. This is uh, Putin. Quote, we are in favor of using the Chinese yen, uh, yen for settlements between Russia and the countries of Asia, Africa, and Latin America, Putin said. Quote, I am confident that these forms of settlement in yen will develop between Russian partners and their counterparts in third third countries and then chinese president uh g can i set this up yes. now they're done with this meeting yep. he's leaving g is leaving back to china he says to putin change that hasn't happened in 100 years is coming he's talking about fourth turning he's talking about <laughs> yeah yep uh i actually That's scary i actually have like do you know what the u.s should be doing you tell me you're the boss okay if this is happening, all of a sudden a uh, a lot of monies are gonna go, a lot of money is gonna go to those those countries, and it I mean it's it's gonna be devastating. The only way to combat that mm-hmm. is to flood flood the entire market with U.S. oil, and here's why it's okay. Hmm. Ten to twenty year, in ten years, probably less, half the vehicles, the cars, and light duty trucks will be electric. Within 20 years, uh, there'll probably be at least 60%. Obviously, big equipment and stuff like that, oil density is huge, except there was just a battery development that 2 x it. But anyways, everyone knows the majority of pedestrian cars and light trucks are going to go electric. Vans, SUVs. The, the, the statistics are it's gonna be objectively there. true, yeah. So Whether you like using your oil right now to combat it until that change is over to... Uh, electric power, which should either be solar panels or nukes, um, as we know, <laughs> then doesn't allow your whole system to be disrupted. What are we doing? Th- obviously, the absolute opposite of that. Yeah. Like we're doing the opposite of that. Yeah. Like we're 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 saying um, more should be put away and all that. And and it's hey, we don't want. They say climate change. I agree with we don't want pollution, but I mean, I don't think. If you've read anything history about hyperinflation, it it is it is not good. Yeah, it is not good. And then all of a sudden, you have a country that's already has problems with 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 drug abuse and crime. Like, 
What's what it, like there's there's parts of the United States that are third world countries are 100 percent. Yeah. So on Wednesday, it's my day off. Yeah. And the whole world order changes in 100 years. He's talking about the Rockefeller consolidation and then the intro of the petrodollar and all that. That's what he's talking about. It's huge. It's huge. And, and I only put that glimmer of hope as like, okay, maybe it won't matter in, in, in 10 to 20 years. It still matters now. Yeah. 10 to 20 years is a long time. Yeah. A long, long time. Diversify your business, architectsguide2.com. <laughs> Consider building some of the projects you designed. Make yourself more durable. Who knows? Uh, I, I will, I will. Am I the only one freaking out about this? So I, 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 I just started, I mean, the writing has been on the wall since forever about the whole thing. Yeah. It's okay to freak out. Uh, (laughs) it's all good. Here, here's, here's how I'll pivot into, uh, the read, which is from the, with a show lost, which I never watched. So I even had to ask people, what is this from and why, why this is our, this week's read is because, um, and, and how it relates to sort of maybe where we're headed with this is like the best things are born from uh, extreme heat and pressure, right? Mm. The analogy I always make is diamonds. So, and that's why and when I tell young people, when people, when I'm, I've been on a lot of podcasts lately and I'm doing a bunch more of this uh, over the next couple months. And uh, the question I get from other entrepreneurs or people that to say like, uh, give, give, what's your best advice you could give to entrepreneurs who want to start a business right now? And I go, if we are actually headed into a deep recession slash uh, depression, best time to start a business. Why? Because you will be climbing up a mountain every day, pushing a rock. You will be uh, put into a cauldron of fire every day. You will wake up broke. You will be hungrier than ever. You will. There is nothing that will. The externalities will push you harder than. You could even push yourself, and the only way a diamond gets gets made is with extreme pressure and heat. The what I was trying to figure out though this whole time, and I was just did a podcast with Ryan and uh, Elon uh, Enoch Sears on the business of architecture will come out soon. And Ryan finally gave me the analogy, and then it popped up in my Telegram from Owen Benjamin. I couldn't believe this video popped up. I was like, wow, that's providence. And my wife tried to argue with me about it, but I was like, ah, it's, it, there's no algorithm here. Like, this is literally just how it comes. Anyway, um, and, and what I was trying to figure out was, <clears throat> what is the opposite of that, right? So um, everybody, if you don't know what affirmative action is, here's what, here's what it is. Affirmative action says, let's say you have, a, uh, let's say you have uh, every colors on the spectrum of, in terms of like humans, right? White, black, brown. Yellow, all mixed. Uh, whatever mixed, yeah, uh, all the different kind of uh, uh, genders and all of that. And <clears throat> right now, if you are a straight white male, you are going to get no matter if you are even if you have more academic qualifications to get into said university, you are put down at the bottom of the list. Me versus you. Yes, and then <laughs> you are going to be favored more if you're a quote unquote person of color for that. Okay. <clears throat> What I've been trying to figure out is like the analogy for this of like, okay, uh, if you is this is this a positive thing that we're doing in society, we are, where we are elevating these uh, marginalized folks, um, who are less who are potentially in some cases not all, less qualified than their straight white counterpart, is that going to produce a better diamond? Because all you're doing is, let's just say, and I hate to be crude, but this I'm trying to make this analogy, you're taking the lump of coal and just putting it up at the top without it having to go through the pressure, right? Without it having to do all of the extra other work to then be it. <coughs> you're elevating. You're elevating it, right? And so uh, Ryan came up with, he goes, I don't know where I heard this, but he told the story of, here. do you know what happens uh, when a moth is, or a butterfly is trying to get out of their cocoon? So they have to squeeze through a very, very tiny hole, mm-hmm. one that makes a lot of pressure on them and helps build their muscles and all of that, right? If you just cut the hole and they can just instantly get out, I bet you can guess what happens. So here's, here's, here's how it relates, and I would love your reaction to this. What do you suppose is in that cocoon, Charlie? I don't know. A, a butterfly, I guess? It's much more beautiful than that. That's a moth cocoon. It's ironic butterflies get all the attention, but moths, they spin silk. They're stronger, they're faster. That's wonderful, but you see this 
little hole. This moth's just about to emerge. It's in there right now, struggling. It's digging its way through the thick hide of the cocoon. Now, I could help it. Take my knife, gently widen the opening, and the moth would be free. But it would be too weak to survive. Struggle is nature's way of strengthening it. Okay, and then he's, he's this guy wants his drugs back. That's, no. I, I didn't edit that out. <laughs> yeah. So it would die. Because because it can't, so like if you cut if you made that whole if you said oh, I'm gonna help this I'm gonna help this moth out I'm gonna help this butterfly out I'm just gonna open the cocoon for them I'm not gonna have them struggle they're not gonna struggle through the hole yeah they literally are not strong enough to survive because them struggling through that hole is how they how they they I don't know if they have bugs have muscles Ryan even said this on the show he was like but whatever they have pushing when they get pushed they push them they have that push them through that hole a very very small hole that's what makes them strong and able to basically instantly fly if you cut it open they're just gonna fall and die okay can i play devil's advocate yes. and then i'm i mean i think i have an analogy towards sort of a solution devil's advocate is like um instead of looking at it as as a test you could look at it some doors are closed and they're open for some people, and we're opening them for other people. Mm-hmm. Sure. It's a good, right? I would say, okay, if you're doing that, that's fine. But then to still have a successful company, which means a successful person, which means a successful family, once you get on the other side of that door, whatever that job is, that pressure and expectation still need to be just as high. Yeah. But right? That, but that's, right? Right. But that's the question. Like, okay, so like you, let's, say, let's say the first institution is the college. And it leapfrogged you. Fine. Yeah. You're at least okay. You open the door. You to open get the in. door. We're going. We're all going. Yeah. Yeah. Now. Yep. Yep. Now we're, you could make the argument. This is evening the playing field. Okay. Is that going to change in the next institution, or is the same practice yeah. happen? Well, he, the corporate institution where you're doing the same thing. You're doing all the DIE diversity, inclusion, equity hires for that and then you see the result from like svb failing apparently well well the the the, the struggle could it, i mean you could just play a statistics game essentially um college is the struggle session right <clears throat> there should be a better term for that if you get it <laughs> <laughs> wow it literally is yeah i know but but if you get in and then all of a sudden it, um you get a's you do really well then when you go through that second door like oh it makes sense you got the opportunity now you're gonna go do well but if you didn't do well, C's, D's, like what are the, if you take, and then you go, no, no, they should still be let in because uh, business is different than college, right? Well, if you take 100 C students and put them in a Fortune 500 company or any company, and or you take 100 A students and put them in there, um, it's not all A students are going to do awesome. Not all C students sure. are going to fail. What is the performance of that company on average over the next five years? Like it's, it's it, going to be, yeah. The other thing, so, so if you, if you get that opportunity, you gotta, you still gotta hold yourself to the same standard. Let me, or so high, here's, yeah. and here's one other additional thing, higher, which relates thing. directly to architecture. So they, they NCARB just got rid of the rolling clock, right? There's no more rolling clock. When there was a rolling clock, was that the little hole that made it? So you had to, you had to, you had to struggle and you had to put pressure on yourself to learn the stuff, retain it, and get it done. Now that we don't, now you could, that's what I'm trying to make this leap here of like, okay, is the hole gone now? And now it's just an open door, like you said, and it just can happen at any time. Like there's no clock to it yep. and you can just do it. Are we actually going to have better architects as a result Would of you, that heading forward? Do you want to know the dirty, dirty truth? Yes. So I, I, uh, Everyone should know the president of NCARB is coming on in a couple of weeks. And I'm going to have a good conversation with him. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> um, but I was con- looking at other uh, professions. professions and what their pass rates were. And I believe it was lawyers. Lawyers on <clears throat> the first test, this relates directly to that. They pass at like, let's just say 80 to 95% or something like that, right? When you take it the second time, like another 5% more pass, right? So now you're up to like 95%. Mm-hmm. If you don't pass it on the second time, your chances 
of passing on the third time or ever, 95% of them don't ever pass it. Wow. So what I'm getting at relating to architects, if you don't pass it on the first, second or third time, you, and this might like, you actually might be a fine, great architect or drafter or designer or whatever. It's just not in your wheelhouse. Just like, I'm not going to spit, uh, I am never going to pass an advanced statistics test. Architecture might be an advanced architecture test. I will never pass an advanced statistics test. So what I'm saying, Lance, is a dirty secret is that people want to have hope. Like, oh, I can take it a fourth or fifth time. Like, I just can't do it in this time frame. I'll do it, you know, after things settle down. You might not ever pass it. Amazing. Isn't that <laughs> Yeah. Interesting. I wonder what they'll say. Um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that interview you have with them. Feel free to keep them Joe Rogan style three hours if you need to. It's all good. <laughs> It'll be great. I'm okay for it being an advanced barrier, being difficult. I have some changes. I, I, I don't think that the question should be, um, if you know what, like what each one of the answers mm-hmm. is and how it's appropriate and they just have like, oh, you should have picked this because this is how we think. I don't think that that's appropriate. Yeah. But just because it's difficult doesn't mean it's bad. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. What do we got next? What We got some difficulty coming up next? Yep. ARE Jeopardy. Let's go right into it. Let's go. All right. Question number one. We have, this is Architects Only Series. Best architect in F9. Ross versus Gresh. Number one. Exterior wall openings are based on what distance measurement? Is it A, measurement to the property line, B, measurement to the nearest building, C, the fire separation distance, or D, A, and B? Okay, D and C. The correct answer is C, the fire separation distance. Question two, which of the following is not part of the definition of the fire separation distance? Okay. Is it A, the closest interior lot line? B, the center line of a street, an alley, or public way? C, to an imaginary line between two buildings on the lot or D the distance from the closest building as measured perpendicular from the exterior wall. A closest interior lot line is part of it. B you said the center line of a street an alleyway or a public way. That is part of it, and that is critical. Here's why. There's a table, how many openings you can have. A lot of times people just think that this is a property line things. There are build two lines. There's build two, the front property. There is nothing normally in front of you. It is a street. So that's why it's the center line of a street, right? C, imaginary line between two buildings. Nope, it's not the same thing. It is D, the distance to the closest building as measured. Like if you have two buildings on the same lot. Mm-hmm. So it's either the interior lot line, right? Or like the center of an alleyway or how far the closest building is to it. We all learned something. All right. Uh, let's see. Oh, there's two number twos. There shouldn't be. I see. I see what happens with the numbers. It's all good. Uh, number three, which of the following building codes regulates accessibility requirements for people with disabilities in the United States? Is it A, NBC, B, IBC, C, ADA, D, NEC? <laughs> this shouldn't even be a hmm. What are you talking about, Ross? Ooh, chat GPT. Look at you. All right. The correct answer is C, ADA. Wow, Ross. Okay, what's the scores? Well, th- what is most correct? Crash is winning? I don't, I meant that in no good way. I'm not, uh-huh. <laughs> didn't mean to have an inflection. 
All right, number four. What is the difference between type one and type two construction in terms of fire resistance rating and structural materials used? Is it A, type one has a higher fire resistance rating and uses non-combustible materials, while type A has lower fire resistance rating and uses combustible materials? Is it B, type one has lower fire resistance rating and uses non-combustible materials, while type two has a higher fire resistance rating and uses combustible materials? Is it type C, I mean, sorry, is it is it C, type 1 and type 2 have the same fire resistance rating, but type 1 uses non-combustible materials while type 2 uses combustible materials? Or is it D, type 1 and type 2 have the same fire resistance rating, but type 1 uses combustible materials while type 2 uses non-combustible materials? Do we, are you ready? Okay. Yeah, yeah. What is your best guess? Correct answer is A. <laughs> okay. Where are we going to eat? Scratch wins. That was <laughs> Half ace? Chat GPT, thank you for those questions. That Chat is G it. That's and this is, you see they're getting better. Uh, meaning harder. <laughs> <laughs> so that's GPT Chat four. GPT 4. Exactly. Thank you for saying that. We're on Chat GPT 4 now. Okay. If you like this episode, if you're watching on YouTube, please make sure you like, subscribe, leave us a positive comment. If you're listening on iTunes, Five-star reviews always appreciated. We will see you next week.